0: i Ling,
1: and I'm Charles Lee,
0: and you're listening to the Grok Science Show.
1: That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Lee McIntyre will join us to discuss how to talk to a science denier.
0: So stay tuned for all of this,
1: plus the Grokatron 5000,
0: and our world-famous question of the week,
1: coming right up here on the Grok's Science Show. Show. Well, science is continually under attack from a number of different angles and how we can talk to a science denier. Well, joining us today to talk to this issue is Dr. Mc- Lee McIntyre. Dr. McIntyre is a research fellow at the Center for Philosophy and History of Science at Boston University. He's the author of Dark Ages, The Case for Science of Human Behavior, Post-Truth, The Scientific Attitude, Defending Science from Denial, Fraud, and Pseudoscience. He has now ended the new book, How to Talk to a Science Denier, conversations with flat earthers, climate deniers, and others who defy reason. Dr. McIntyre, thanks so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks for having me back. Well, certainly our pleasure. is certainly a a fascinating book. You look at those who
0: are science deniers almost to a fault. So I wrote an earlier book called The Scientific Attitude, where I was concerned to figure out what was distinctive about science. And the answer I came up with was the idea that scientists care about evidence, and they're willing to change their mind on the basis of new evidence. And the more I thought about that, the more I realized that that was really the thing that science deniers were not able to do. But rather than just analyze that theoretically, I wanted to go out and test it practically. And so I went to a flat earth convention. And then from there, I just I wanted to talk to other folks and see if I could figure out how to talk, not necessarily in a way to convince them uh, that I was correct, which is very hard to do, but to get them to listen, because sometimes uh, changing somebody's mind is a matter of talking to them several times.
1: Last time we had you on, uh, going to this Flat Earth convention and sitting down to dinner with one of the people there. There's a lot of give and take, but probably no real changes in terms of beliefs on either side. Is that somewhat frustrating?
0: Well, it is frustrating. I think that in some ways, by the time you catch somebody at a flat Earth convention, let alone one of the speakers at a flat Earth convention, it's a, it's a pretty tall order to think that you're going to uh, change their mind in that sort of an environment. I think the important thing to remember is that science denial exists on a spectrum, and that many people that we call science deniers are folks who are really the the audience for a type of disinformation that's created by the hardcore folks. And it may be possible to bring them back. There was an empirical study in nature human behavior in the summer of 2019 by Cornelia Batch and Philip Schmid, And they showed with statistical significance that it was possible to intervene and talk with science deniers and get them to change their minds.
1: We are certainly in an interesting time right now where COVID-19 pandemic certainly has changed everything. You began writing the book before the pandemic, but this has certainly been kind of a case study in science denial or science misinformation.
0: It really is. You're absolutely right. I conceived of the book way before COVID had happened. And in fact, uh, I got the book contract on March 20th, uh, 2020, which was just about a week after the, the lockdown. I guess it was just actually as the lockdowns were starting. And I saved a chapter at the end for COVID denial. And I spoke with my editor about it and he said, well, why are you doing that? You know, there is no such thing as COVID denial. And I said, just wait, you know, it will become a thing. And it did. And the reason that I knew that that was coming is because all science denial is basically the same. They use the same reasoning strategy. They have different topics. You don't run into people who say that they're science deniers or even anybody who's really anti-science, except maybe uh, uh, Ted Kaczynski, but people are what I call cafeteria skeptics. They go through and they choose the areas that uh, tread on their sacred beliefs, and then those are the things that they resist science about.
1: In a way, if you talk to a lot of these individuals, they would say that they are in support of science, but it's really their own sort of science that they are willing to believe.
0: I think you're right about that. Uh, many people that I spoke to at the Flat Earth Conference felt that they were the true skeptics, that they were more scientific than the scientists were, and that one of their main beefs was that the scientists wouldn't look at their evidence. And so, as I say, you, you very rarely run into somebody who is you know, willing to embrace the idea that that they're a a denier. I mean, of course, that makes sense. But the the really fascinating part of that is that the criticisms that supporters of science make against the deniers are sometimes the exact same criticisms that they make of us. And that can make it very frustrating to, to talk to them. Yet, underneath it all, they really basically don't understand how science works. And so for the most part, what I talk to folks about is their reasoning strategy. I tend not to talk about the facts of whatever topic it is, because they usually know the facts and have rejected them already. They're prepared for that. They've got a script for that. What they're not prepared to talk about is why they believe what they believe, what their strategy is, what their logic is. And so sometimes if you're looking for an opportunity to get them to think a little bit about why they believe something, that's a good way to do it.
1: Sort of five tropes that characterize science deniers and talking with the science deniers
0: to go after those particular characteristics. It's the best method if, unless you're an expert, Unless you're an expert in whatever area it is that they're talking about, really the the smart thing to do is what's called technique rebuttal. This is what Bench and Schmid did in their article in Nature Human Behavior. They they talked about content rebuttal, which is when you're a scientist, and technique rebuttal, uh, which is when you're talking about the logic that they use. And the good news is that they were both found equally effective as ways to push back. I can say a little bit more about technique rebuttal. What it consists in is the insight uh, that was, uh, you know, other. I didn't make this up. Other folks came up with this idea that there was a, as you say, the five tropes of science denial reasoning are belief in conspiracy theories, cherry picking evidence, reliance on fake experts, and the denigration of real experts, illogical reasoning. And then uh, my personal favorite, the belief that science has to be perfect. And so once you really understand what's so toxic about each of those five forms of reasoning, then in conversation with a science denier, you really don't usually have to wait very long for them to make one of those mistakes. And then you can talk about that. And I mean, it's not so easy to just say, well, that's a conspiracy theory, because sometimes they'll say, yeah, that's right. What's the matter with that? And then you've got a little bit of work to do.
1: The argument has been made that the public maybe never really understood how science was done, but they at least trusted scientists that what they were telling them was in fact based on sound processes and scientific method. But that trust really has broken down of late and regaining that trust with scientists and those who are promoting scientific ideas.
0: I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, two two things. First, first. I think you're right. I don't think the general public ever really did understand how science worked. It's just that they trusted scientists. And so, you know, now the idea that uh, that trust has broken down, what can they go back to? You know, there, there were some misconceptions that they had about science in the first place. But the, the second point that you make is, I, I think, exactly spot on as well, which is this idea that science denial is not really about doubt. It's about distrust, Doubt can be overcome with evidence. If you doubted the evidence for climate change, you might be willing to say, well, you know, if you could find X and such data, then I would be convinced. But they don't say that. And it's because they're not actually, that's whatever they profess their doubts to be. That's not the reason that they believe what they believe. The reason they believe it is because they distrust the scientists. They distrust the people who believe in the thing that they don't. And that's really where you can try to make some difference in talking to them because the way to build trust back is through face-to-face, calm, reasonable, respectful conversation. It's not through shoving any facts down their throat. That's that's just the wrong approach.
1: That sort of rebuilding of trust is probably even more difficult in these times where science is just another one of those venues that's been heavily politicized. Choosing one side or the other essentially is just a way of choosing your identity.
0: Yeah, uh, polarization is a big problem here. People can be polarized around many different sorts of uh, issues. Uh, politics is quite a big one. Not all science denial is politicized, but climate change and COVID denial, of course, those are politicized. And, and now anti-vax has become politicized where it wasn't really before. You you tended uh, before COVID to find roughly equal numbers of liberals and conservatives who were anti-vax. And I'm not sure you see that anymore. Though I haven't seen good uh, data on that recently. It does make it harder, right? Because people are not simply polarized they're made to be polarized it's in someone's interest for them to be polarized and so the folks who are profiting by this whether economically or ideologically or politically it's in their best interest to have us at each other's throats in that kind of an environment it is very hard to have these kind of conversations i still think they're possible i still think that in some ways that's our only way back but it is a real challenge, because when you find topics that have, where there's not just a disagreement, but there's polarization, you find hatred. You find people thinking that the people on the other side are not just wrong, but they're evil people. That's very hard to overcome that. And yet, I think the anecdotal Evidence, at least in the literature, has shown that it is possible through face to face respectful conversations. There are hardcore science deniers who have changed their mind.
1: One of the more practical questions that's facing us right now is that there's a lot of denial around receiving the COVID 19 vaccine. What do you think you would do or would recommend being done in terms of being able to convince or talk to those individuals?
0: There are no magic words that you can say. And I think we just have to sit with that for a minute. We have to understand that I can't tell you any script or any phrase that's going to do it for you know, any given person you know, or any particular person that, that you might want to convince. I think that the way to do it is to enter into an actual conversation where you're at least at the beginning doing more listening than anything else. And the person will probably tell you why they uh, are afraid Of the COVID vaccine for most people that I've heard, it's been based in fear. And some of those fears can be allayed by accurate information, but they're not prepared to hear that if they're afraid or if they're distrustful. So I think the most important, and this is going to sound funny, but the most important thing is to simply open a dialogue, simply not to dismiss the other person as unworthy of your conversation or having your uh, your time. The most important thing is not to cut people off, to keep them in your orbit, keep them in your circle of concern, and have an ongoing conversation. One of the very hardest things is to convince somebody in a what they call a hit-and-run conversation, and especially if you're a stranger. If it's somebody that you're friends with, maybe a family member or friend, somebody who already loves and trusts you, you still have to be respectful. You still have to be careful in the way you go at it, and it may take more than one conversation to do it. But, again, I I can cite you some examples from the media, you know, accounts that anybody can Google and read, where this method has actually worked. And and here's the thing that I enjoy the most about reading this. It's the only method that works. Uh, When I read these accounts, you know, I'm kind of an aficionado of people who change their mind on science uh, denial topics. You know, anything that comes up, I want to read it on that. Every time I read those accounts, it's the same story over and over and over again. It's about somebody who was approached by another person with empathy and even love in some instances, who took the time, was patient with them, listened to them, and they eventually began to listen back.
1: Something that we could all do on all sides is uh, just a little more listening and a little less pontificating.
0: <laughs> I, I think that's right. And it's, it is hard when you think you're Right. And that's hard for the deniers. It's hard for the scientists, too, because when you think you're right, you want to share that. But once you realize that the facts are not going to do it, uh, you know, think of it this way. The facts are not why they have their belief in the first place. I mean, how could it be, right? What are the facts that would lead anybody to believe that ivermectin is a treatment for COVID, but that the vaccines are not or that the vaccines are more dangerous than ivermectin? It just it doesn't make sense. But they have heard that story from a a resource, an information source that they trust. That's why they believe it.
1: Do you think that there's a certain onus placed on scientists for not building that trust as well as they should have?
0: I think nobody's better equipped to do this kind of work than scientists. And I say that understanding that they're very busy, (laughs) they've got their hands full in the work that they're doing anyway. Sometimes I think that it's easy to avoid uncomfortable conversations, especially when you don't think that you can, that they'll do any good. And so I think it's easy for scientists maybe to feel like they're wasting their time in talking to science deniers. But again, there's that empirical work in nature, human behavior, which showed that no it can work and so i asked the question of the scientists out there are you going to be a science denier are you going to pretend that it doesn't make any difference when it's been shown empirically that it does make a difference that you could have a role to play there are resources available at the uh, the Allen Alda Center at Stony Brook where they they have wonderful resources for scientists and science journalists and other friends of science to learn about uh, better communication about science with uh, with others. There's a center uh, at the uh, University of Cincinnati, at CEW at University of Cincinnati, and they they also have the uh, same sort of resources. So, you know, it is available. You don't need to just invent these conversations from scratch. Even the article in Nature Human Behavior has some scripts in it, some things that, that you can learn. Now, again, I said there are no magic words, and it's not as if you can just memorize a script and, and go out there. But it is probably helpful to read some accounts how other people have done this. You know, what are the tactics that actually work before you go out and try it?
1: You certainly went through a lot of interactions, talks with deniers of science. Do you feel like there's an opportunity, a shift, that this this change, that uh, they're less prevalent?
0: yeah I think that's the goal. less prevalent it's always going to be with us to some degree, just as it has always been with us so far uh, and through the the history of science. I think that it's grown in recent years as people have felt more alienated from elites, from the you know authority figures uh, distrust in government has grown, distrust in the media it's inevitable that some of that distrust would happen for uh, for scientists as well so you know I, I think that there is some reason to be optimistic. I don't think that the entire problem can be solved just by talking to deniers themselves, though. I have to say that I think that the engine of the problem is the creation of disinformation and its amplification through social media and partisan media. That's a pretty big problem no matter how many respectful conversations we have with people, once they become radicalized, it's better for them not to be radicalized in the first place. And so, you know, one goal of writing a book like this is not simply to equip people to go out and have these conversations, but to wake them up to the problem, to let them see just how pervasive it is, and that we can't just ignore it and walk away from the problem and hope that it gets better. I think that uh, we, we all have a role to play in defending science. And that's one motivation for writing the book. I've really aimed it at the friends of science who want to know what can they do to defend science.
1: We were just talking with Dr. Lee McIntyre. He has penned the new book, How to Talk to a Science Denier, Conversations with Flat Earthers, Climate Deniers, and Others Who Defy Reason. Dr. McIntyre, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show.